our minds are really good at telling us like battling thoughts or, you know, like the imposter syndrome will come up or the fear will come up, but like, what does your body tell you? And so when people do things that aren't in alignment, most of the time they feel tension, they feel a tightness in their chest, they feel their throat close. There's something that happens. And a lot of times when people start therapy, they're not aware of those things that are happening in their body. Mm. So it's building emotional intelligence, not only with labeling their emotions, but connecting it with what's happening in your body when you feel this way. Then it's the space of what happens when you feel good. What happens when you feel relaxed? What happens when you feel joy? They learn the difference and then they start to become aware of, I'm feeling anxious. My body's really tense. Why am I feeling this way? What's coming up for me? They then create the process of analyzing their situation themselves and deciding whether anxiety is warranted or not. Welcome to Modern Happiness, where we believe happiness is a choice. Our goal is to share how we and our high-performing guests choose happiness, covering topics such as fitness, mindset, relationships, business, and much more in today's world. Here are your hosts, Matt Mahalik and Taylor Sleeper. What's up, happiness homies? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Happiness Podcast. I am Matthew Allen. We got Taylor Sleeper over here. Deuce is back. And we got a special guest today, Jessica Reka. How are you today? Doing pretty good. How about you guys? I'm doing fantastic. Taylor? Living the dream. You know, it's happy hour right now. So when you're with us, it's happy hour. (laughs) Deuce, how you doing? I'm so happy. I think people miss your voice. I'm, I, uh, I've missed the people. <laughs> well, then it's a mutual missing. Yeah. Wow. So we're glad to have you back. We're all on the same page. It's a terrible answer. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. We love it. All right. So we're going to jump into some rapid fire questions for you, Jessica. And uh, Taylor, I think I started last time. You want to start? I would love to. Um, first question. What is one thing you're grateful for? It's hard to narrow down to one thing. Um at this moment, I'm super grateful for community and building more connection in Denver. It's been super hard through the pandemic. And just recently, I've found that there's been more opportunities to connect and just like go out or go to yoga classes or there's just definitely more more events happening. And that has been really awesome. So to have that come like circle back into my life, I'm super grateful for that. That's awesome. Can I ask you with community... Um, you go to yoga classes, mm-hmm. going to these events. Do you do more like, oh, you meet someone and it's like, I mean, that's how we met. We got coffee. I just reached out on Instagram. I'm like, let's get coffee. Yeah. Uh, are you doing things like that? Because I think it's been a conversation with my girlfriend as well. Taylor and I have talked about this and it's like, how do you meet friends at 30 years old or mm, older? Shit, where's the manual? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, there is none. Yeah. So are you doing stuff like that uh, beyond just going to events? Um, I'm definitely trying. That's a little bit out of my comfort zone to just, you know, slide into somebody's DMs, but it's definitely something I'm open to. It's, it's easier when we have something in common, like being an entrepreneur or, you know, being in business and just wanting to connect. And I think like when you see that in someone's social media, like there's more openness to do that. Um, it's not something that I find myself doing 
all the time. Okay, gotcha. Cool. Uh, what is your most used emoji? The three stars, like the universe symbol. Mm. Because oh, I yeah. totally feel like, you know, when people talk to me or a friend will text me or whatever and they'll be like, something happened today. And I'm like, yeah, the universe told you or it showed <laughs> you or, you know, you're you're in alignment with yourself and it's happening for you. So that's that's definitely it. Oh, I like it. We'll probably dive into some of that. Yes, that's a that's a first for the podcast. New emoji, so I like okay. it. Okay. Um, okay, what is your walk-up song? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> a walk-up song. Yeah, first thing that comes to mind. Literally, Machine Gun Kelly's new song, A. Let's go. I it. love Machine Gun Kelly. Were you, like, big teen angst? Yes. Le- wow, we're best friends. Yeah. This is great. Like, All right. Machine Gun Kelly kills it. Yeah. I'm curious. Do you know a day to remember? Oh, yeah. Okay. Because they're from Florida. You saw like every show in Florida. Seen them like. Before they got big. Oh, yeah. 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 Before they were cool. Wow. I don't know. Okay. I don't know what's happening. We'll have our own. (laughs) We're going to have a side podcast about. Music. Real music, not Dave Matthews. (laughs) That's not real music. You know, one of these days I'm just going to get my guitar and start playing on the podcast. And I'll leave. If you keep teasing me. (laughs) Aren't you going to do talent night? I am thinking, oh my God. Yeah. I, I was there. It's like this deep desire in me. We talked about this on one of the early episodes of the podcast. Like one of the scariest things I feel like I did, but I had to do it because I couldn't walk away that evening. Not, not trying. Yeah. Uh, I was at a bar in Boston and there was a band there and they were taking their break. And I was like, I was like, I want to go play this song. And I was so drunk. And I was like, but I was like, I know that if I wake up tomorrow and didn't at least ask the you know, the lead singer or whatever, like if I could play. And so he said, yes. And I did it. And we got boot. My brother came up and sang with me um, because he's my best friend. And that's just the kind of guy he is. Uh, we got booed. I forgot the lyrics. I was, I just stopped like two thirds way through the song. I was like, okay, this is over, but I fucking did it. And uh, it's just always something that like, I don't have a good voice. My guitar playing's fine. Um, but it just seems like it's scary, so I'll, I want to do it more. Um, so, yeah, I'll probably be doing that soon. I think it's scary. Probably. You gotta do it. I'm definitely going to do it. Bam. There you go. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> I know. I have to do it. It's recorded. It's recorded. A million people are going to hear this. So, All right. Should we just go in a circle and ask uh, what scary thing you're all going to do? I don't want to be alone no, here. No, no, no. We got some rapid fire to get all to. Right, so. All right. Okay. Uh, Jessica, what is your favorite book? That's a really tough one because I read all the time and I keep mm-hmm. finding new favorites. Um, right now, it is honestly come as you are and it's a book written for females um yes yeah. it's a great book happy belated national women's day by the way uh, yeah. to both of you yeah Thank you. um it's just it's something i've read multiple times and it's something that just brings a lot of awareness to like sexual stigmas and the idea of like pleasure for women and how that's been shut off um and people just aren't taught that so it's been something I've used for my own clients, for myself, and um, just something I keep coming back to in a sense of like women empowerment and teaching teaching other women that they can experience, you know, pleasure and they're worthy of that. That's a deep topic. Totally. Might have to let Deuce take over on that one. <laughs> Maybe another time. Okay. Yeah, yeah okay. I feel like that's like a potentially a whole other podcast. Glass, yeah, glass, yeah. Glass, glass of wine and yeah. 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 <laughs> 
bottle of wine. It's a great book, though. Yeah, each. Yes. Um, Awesome. Okay, what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I wanted to be a teacher, (laughs) and I literally, like, my whole life, like, made school at my house. Like, I would make papers that kids, right, in quotations, would do, like, their tests, and I would grade them. And then that was more of, like, the fun idea, and then I honestly... As soon as I turned like 14, I knew I wanted to be a psychologist Mm. and followed that since. Look at you doing it, doing the damn thing. Yeah. How did you know? What was like, as soon as you were 14, it sounds like it was pretty prominent. I went to therapy. Okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. uh, I definitely was a rebellious teenager um, and didn't like the idea of therapy at all. Mm. The idea of like some person that doesn't know me coming in and like trying to fix my life or change things in my family and then when it started working <laughs> and like I recognized that there was value and worth to it I decided like I wanted to be that catalyst for people mm-hmm. um whether it was kids or adults or whoever it just was really important to me to to offer that space for somebody else nice awesome great follow-up into the next and final <laughs> rapid fire question what is your superpower I don't know. Um, I don't think I've ever been asked that. Mm, what are you really good at? What do people tell you that you tend to be good at or they value in you? I'm extremely considerate of others. Mm-hmm. Um, advocacy is huge for me. And so, like, I definitely don't let people get taken advantage of, like, in my presence or around me. And in that same, like, sense, like, I really take care of the people in my life. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Awesome. Love it. Okay, so you are a private psychologist. You are very much spiritual. Yeah. I'm curious, uh, just diving in, you know, what does that look like compared to your experience going to a psychologist, doing therapy uh, when you were a kid to how you show up for your clients? Yeah, it's drastically different. Um, My therapy experiences have been a lot of just straight talk therapy where it's, you know, reflections or a lot of just like listening um, and kind of helping me understand my thoughts, which is completely worthy and valuable. And a lot of people um, find relief in that. But the way that I show up is more of like what's happening in someone's body. Like where, where are things held for them? Like where is the impact that's not just in their thoughts or, um, you know, I, I think that there's an element that people forget, like we are in control of some things in our life, like how we show up every day. Um, people forget that we are still grounded in ourselves or rooted in ourselves. And that gives us power And so when I bring in this idea of like spirituality or alternative healing modalities like acupuncture or Reiki or chiropractic care, like there's this element of like, you're not just tending to your mind, you're tending to your whole self. And there needs to be that integration for, for true or more comprehensive healing for, for my clients. Mm. Do, I guess, let me ask this first. What do people have wrong about? psychology seeing a psychologist get take getting therapy like what's the stigma yeah i think a lot of people have fear of disclosing what has happened to them because of judgment 
a lot of people have been judged in their in the past um, by people in their life and don't want to endure that again. I think there's an element too of like shame. Like I'm coming to this person that doesn't know anything about me and I'm like showing the biggest wounds of myself. Um, that's something people, I mean, a lot of people don't know how to do. When were we taught to like show our wounds? I don't think we were. And so coming to a space where that's like the main goal, the main intent, like that's what we push, you know, in every session, like let's get to that deep space. Let's work to heal that, that like really open wound. It takes people to a space of like strong and intense vulnerability that they've never been in before. And that's scary. Um, And some people have had really, unfortunately, like harmful experiences with past therapists or psychologists where their emotions haven't been held or they've been re-traumatized in some way. And I think that definitely makes people resistant to coming back or, or enduring that again. Um, there's also cultural elements where there's, there's, you know, we don't speak outside of our family. Um, and so that, you know, breaking that cultural element to come to a psychologist or a therapist, that in itself is huge. So there is just a bunch of barriers that fear, you you know, you have to step out of that to come and do those things. And, and again, there's some people that are like, I'm ready, I'm willing, I'm motivated, but it's not to dismiss the barriers that some people encounter. Mm. Can you break down a little bit um, just differences between psychologists, psychiatrists, like what, and I imagine there's a lot of different <coughs> ways someone could see one or the other, or even just like a psychologist in general, like what, what does kind of that process look, look like um, just to kind of lay the land as we dive in? Yeah, for sure. So there's definitely varying levels of therapists. There's like a licensed professional counselor, um, which is a master's level um, clinician who just doesn't have the same amount of schooling behind them. It's not to say that they aren't valuable or worthy in their field. It's just we have different schooling. Um, A lot of those counselors do talk therapy. Some of them are more integrative like I am. Um, It's pretty prevalent in Denver to see an LPC. Then there's the psychologists who are doctorate levels. Basically, like, we can do assessments, like evaluations for clients. We just, we have more freedom in the sense of accessing accessing resources for our clients. Assessment, evaluation. Um, Our ethics are a bit different. They're a bit more stringent. Um, And then when we come into, like, psychiatry, that's where the medical piece comes in. So they are working more around prescriptions. Their appointments are definitely shorter. They're about like a, like a consultation or a first appointment would be longer where they're assessing for what your needs are. But at the end of the day, like they're a 15 minute check-in every few months to make sure that your meds are, are working for you. A lot of times counselors and psychologists will collaborate with psychiatrists, which is something that I'm a strong component for um, uh, pushing for that in the sense of like, I don't have a lot of clients who want to go on medication, um, but the ones who need it or desire that, the collaboration is huge. Mm -hmm. Um, It also depends on what kind of issues you're coming in with on who you would go to um, or what feels safe for somebody. Mm. So yeah, if we look at like, 
counselor versus psychologist? Is there like kind of different levels or like, I don't know. I'm just thinking about anybody listening or even myself, I've never been in therapy and there is a huge stigma. And especially mm-hmm. like growing up being a, a male, white male, um, my background is called strength and conditioning, um, where it's like, you're very tough. You don't, yeah. you don't show like emotions that are vulnerable. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm curious, like why, you know, why would, where would someone start? Why would I go to a counselor? Why would I maybe reach out to a psychologist? I'm mm-hmm. sure there's a lot of answers to that, but. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of hard to narrow down, but I would say that it's more about what is the most prevalent concern that you have that you want to work on. Mm-hmm. So if it's genetically based, for example, like you're having um, reactions in your body that feel like anxiety, like a rapid heart rate or racing thoughts or sweaty palms or like all of those things in like when you're feeling anxious, mm-hmm. medication could potentially alleviate that very, very quickly. Um, and you wouldn't necessarily have to figure out why you're anxious. Your symptoms would just be alleviated. Not to say that that might push someone into wanting to understand their anxiety more. Potentially that's when they would seek out a therapist or a psychologist. Mm. Psychiatry doesn't, and this is just from my um, experience, doesn't delve into the true root of what's happening in the sense of like healing from the inside out. It's kind of like that, um, this is definitely like my own words. It's, it feels like a band-aid approach in the sense that like these symptoms are alleviated for a certain amount of time while you're taking these medications. However, what happens if these meds were to stop? Mm. Does this anxiety actually go away or are you still suffering? Does that make sense? Yeah, for okay. sure. That's super helpful. Yeah, I, lo- I love that you said that. I was going to ask, you know, what what your opinion is on, like, medication. I feel like we're in such a world where it's like, got to get that quick result that, you know, like, oh, I take a medication. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I can feel better now. Uh, but like you said, you're likely not, very likely probably not attending to yeah. what's really going on. And if the medication stops, where are you then? Right. Part of me feels very strongly about we need to feel our emotions to understand them, to understand what's not being met in, that's resulting in this strong anxiety or depression or phobias or trauma. Like we can medicate that, sure. And that fulfills that need for a moment. But what is the actual need that never got met that caused this anxiety? Like to me, that's more important in the long run than alleviating symptoms for a short time. So this is like a lot of childhood work and all this stuff you do in that realm, right? Yeah, my my theoretical orientation for conceptualizing clients and how I view the world is definitely like attachment oriented. And so it, it's childhood based, mm-hmm. your relationships with your caregivers, whoever that may have been. Were you feeling safe with those people? You know, could you show up authentically? Those are all needs that, if left unmet, cause anxiety, depression, relationship issues later on. Is there any type of, I know this is like, I'm not going to sit in therapy and go through all this, but like, is there any type of framework where maybe you take people through or someone could kind of, even if they were just to explore this on their own, some questions they could ask to be like, what, you know, what need is not being met that might be causing this? How can I trace that back to maybe childhood? Like you said, like your caregiver, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, were you being seen and all those things? Is there kind of like a a step-by-step approach to uncovering that? 
I wouldn't say that there's a step-by-step approach, but something I ask newer clients or just people in general, if they want to have this conversation is like, think about the last time that you didn't feel anxious or scared or depressed or fearful or hypervigilant. A lot of times that's really young. That's like five years old or 10 years old. Like, when did you stop believing in yourself? When did you let your narratives or the beliefs of other people seep in? That's usually where we start because that's such a strong point of of wounding. I mean, that's where they shifted out of their authentic self to either people please or keep themselves safe or just survive. And they lost part of themselves at that point. And that's when needs start becoming... They either suppress them because they're like, well, obviously no one in my life can meet them. I can't meet them. Or they go into that hyperdrive of like perfectionism and they try and do everything they can to meet them themselves. So that's a starting point. I wouldn't say that there's necessarily steps after that that are linear. Um, This kind of takes people in a lot of different directions. And it's something that I find important to flow with because... I'm following their wound mm. um, to the root of it. That's that's the goal. Yeah. Is there anything big that I like? Everyone's different, obviously. and Everyone has different wounds and different ways to kind of cope and manage with those things. Uh, I'm, I'm honestly asking this from like a my own coaching perspective and how I can show up better for my clients. And again, of course, you're a doctor and you have the training and all this stuff. Um, but, it, you know, getting someone to like, believe in themselves again, to trust themselves. Is there a common theme you see in people getting to that point? Like how they get to that point or, um, yeah. And maybe like tan, is there tangible things that people are able to do? Yeah, there are. Um, so a lot of people have a lack mindset of what they don't have or what they can't do. And so creating something visual that shows their strengths, their abilities, that's factual, right? It's not, it's not emotional. It's not something that they like feel that they're good at. It's like, no, like you have time management skills. You show up to work every day. Mm. That's huge. And they're like, well, no, I just show up for my job. Well, okay. But you are able to every day show up, commit, do your job and manage yourself. That's a big skill. That's a strength. Like you can use that anywhere in your life. So kind of bringing it to that like finite detail of like breaking your skills down and actually understanding that you are so capable beyond your fear, your anxiety, your doubt, what people have said. And it's in the smallest things. Like, how can you translate your time management to something else? It, then that's an action step. That's something tangible that someone can do. Hmm. And they don't have to work on that. They already have that skill. It's just tapping back into that belief that it's, it's there, it's available, it's, it, it's valuable. It's actually a big deal than just showing up to work every day. Yeah, that's cool. I think we, we focus so much on what we don't have, right, yeah. what we want, and always chasing that thing, not recognizing things we are doing, things we are good at. Are there, well, can I yeah, ask, yeah, why, why do we do that? Why do our brains go to what 
we don't have first. Yeah, it's definitely a protector um, because if we were to acknowledge everything that we have, we would have to accept that we're like safe and we're, we're okay. Mm. For a lot of people though, what they have doesn't necessarily feel safe or they don't know how to recognize it as safe because for their whole life they haven't felt that way. Mm. And they've had to figure out like what is lacking because I have to fill that so that I can be okay. Mm. We never really shift out of that as, you know, independent adults who actually we're really capable. Like we have jobs, we live on our own. Like people do all these, these things, but yet they have this idea that they're not doing enough. Society also breaches that, that like we need to do more. We need to be better. We need to fill our schedules to the brim. Like that is success. And instead like let's actually shift back and bring it down further into like, why are you successful? You've had all of these skills and that have made you into this space. So it's coming back to a a mind shift change of I'm not lacking anything. I might feel that way, but in reality, I'm not. Mm, Great answer. What does it look like working with clients? Is there like, is it once a month? Is it once a week? I imagine it, it shifts, but I'm just curious, like, kind of an idea of like, do you have minimum requirements of like, Hey, we're going to work together for three months and then kind of see how this goes. Um, and then I, I'm curious about like integration in terms of, well, maybe I'll start there and then, and then I'll ask my (laughs) second question. So, um, I can't speak for like the, like uh, the field as a whole. I think Mm -hmm. we all practice differently. Um, for me, I do have a requirement that I work with a client for a month consistently, which looks like either weekly or every other week um, because continuity is huge for me, especially working with trauma work. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to build a relationship. And so if I'm seeing a client once a month, like a, a, like a, a whole lifetime happens in a month, and sure. I can't really tap into what we need to because we're checking in over about the month pretty much the whole session. So in the beginning, I definitely frame that I want clients to come more often than not. However, I'm very open to the idea that like life happens and I have a lot of clients who are, you know, parents or are in the healthcare field and like are on call. And so when things can't look like that, it's okay. Um, we just have conversations about it, but it's more, it's more about what a person's coming in for, what's necessary to build that relationship and actually get us to a space of safety to do the work that they want and just kind of being really transparent in the beginning with clients like this is what we need Mm. and if they if they don't want to do that or can't agree to that that's their choice but it's more of just informing them like I need your time and your your energy for your goals to actually come to fruition yeah I think I think it's interesting because it's like one yeah one session isn't going to fix I don't, I don't really want to use the word fix, but help or change. And then Mm -hmm. also, you know, there's like an integration period where it's like, I see this with a background in fitness and like, I have a lot of friends that are physical therapists and it's like, people will go see them for two or three weeks and they start feeling better and they're like, cool, I'm going to stop. And they get injured again. It's like, no, we need to keep working Mm -hmm. through like to help set up. So my second question is, I'm curious a little bit about integration. Like as people start, you know, understanding themselves or what's happening underneath, what does that look like? And 
do you do anything with like their community? Because so I'm a life coach now and a, a lot of what I do, sometimes my clients feel like it's therapy. It's definitely not. And I am not licensed or anything. So I'll say that. Um, but I just hold a safe space yeah. and we talk about things and we're able to talk about things that they don't have other people in their life to talk about. Mm -hmm. And they're vulnerable and we uncover stuff. And what's interesting I've noticed is a lot of them, like it's, it's hard because when they're with me, they have so much growth, but then they're on an island because they're not in a, like my best clients are the ones who are like, oh yeah, I showed my wife this video you sent me mm -hmm. or, oh yeah, I'm like, my best friend is doing this journaling with me. Um, and so like, as you were talking about the lack mindset, I'm curious, um, is that any, anything that you talk about, like their relationships, their friends, their community? Because I know at least a lot of people I work with, it's like the people you surround yourself, like maybe that's why they feel like, oh, I just show up for work. Like that's not a big deal is perhaps their environment. Mm -hmm. So yeah, what, it, what does it look like? You know, they've been making progress and then maybe stopping work with working with you or like not as frequently. So that's definitely something that happens. I mean, people get symptom relief or start feeling better and they're like, I'm done. I think this is great. Again, like it's something similar to what you're saying. Like they're probably going to be injured again or come back with similar issues. The idea of therapy, though, is that, okay, so like you, we provide safe spaces, right? Like we provide that safe attachment for someone to be vulnerable. However, a lot of people in their life probably aren't capable of that. And so what I do with my clients is work to build safer relationships, whether it's with new friends or setting boundaries with their, their current circle mm. so that they can engage and feel safe. Um, it's learning about like the threshold of vulnerability. Who can I be vulnerable with and who can I not be vulnerable with and why that's the integration space of like, they have to understand why they haven't felt safe in their community or why they haven't been vulnerable and then work to create change in the sense of like, I, I want to be safe. So what do I need to do to do that? Cause they can't control the people in their life or the, you know, outside, but they can understand like I have agency. I can say like this relationship isn't healthy for me anymore and walk away. And it's like teaching them self-advocacy too of like, I don't have to people please just because this person's been in my life for 20 years doesn't mean I have to keep them in my life because they're actually unhealthy for me. So that's the integration process for my, mm. my clients anyway, um, coming to that understanding that like shoulds aren't really real. Mm. How does someone approach that? I don't think I have too many people. I stop mine. Like, yeah, if toxic people in my life. I've been pretty good about <laughs> removing myself and things like that. So maybe that's a separate question for me. What's coming up is like this, uh, you know, um, invited to a wedding of a college friend mm -hmm. that we maybe text once a year. And now I have to fly out to New York and spend thousands of dollars on flight, hotel. Well, you gift. don't have to. So that's my point. <laughs> and nor should I. Right. So, what does it look like for people to like maybe one recognize that and then to like have the conversation or just like check no on the RSVP and you don't need to give a reason. And yeah, I mean, I would say that, so there's a couple of things that come to mind when you say that the first thing is why is the immediate thought that you should go do all of those things? 
Where does that come from? Who told you you should do that? Yeah. That belief is like, for some people, that belief is really strong and really rooted. But when you sit with yourself and you're like, well, no, I don't really want to go. I don't really have that money. Like, that doesn't really align with my life right now. And your authentic self is saying, like, I don't want to go. It becomes a conflict of, like, the shoulds and the beliefs and then how you truly feel. So then it's the evaluation of, okay, what would going look like? Will I enjoy myself? Will I, will it fill my cup? Or am I going to leave feeling drained, exhausted, financially strapped? And then what? I'm going to come home and be upset that I went. So it's kind of this element of like, can I even be present if I follow that should belief? And if I do that and I'm not present, why have I done that? I've just people pleased. The other part of that is what you're saying is like the conversation piece. I think there's an element of assessing risk. What does this relationship look like? What does it need? Do you need to have a conversation? Does that feel in alignment with this relationship? What are your conversations once a year like? Are they deep? Are they emotional? Are they meaningful? Or are they like, hey, how's the weather and wherever you're living? Like that probably wouldn't warrant this like deep heartfelt understanding of like why I'm not coming to your wedding. However, if you're having these deep conversations, it might look like, hey, I'm in a space where this isn't in alignment with my life right now and I'm not going to be able to make it, but I wish you the best. Hmm. The reaction of that person is not in your control, unfortunately, but it's that understanding that you stayed in alignment with yourself and didn't step into the shoulds. I love that. Yeah. I'm just sitting over here reflecting on (laughs) everything you're saying. Um, how, How are, what is going on when people are like, I mean, maybe it's obvious, I don't know, but like when people are doing all the shoulds and people pleasing and like, gotta go to this wedding, gotta go to this wedding, gotta do this because this person invited me and all this stuff. Um, Besides the fact that you (laughs) are probably spending time on shit you don't like, like what else is that doing, you know, for their life or how is that affecting their life? They're definitely staying disconnected from their authentic self. They're doing what they think they should do instead of what they actually want to do. So that keeps them fragmented. Um, It keeps the conflict inside going, um, which oftentimes is where you'll find anxiety because I don't know what to do now. I don't feel good either way. If I don't go, then I'm like feeling guilty, something you have to sit with yourself. If I go, I'm going to feel like shit because I don't want to be here. It's this, um, it's also sitting with uncomfortability. Like when I make this choice for myself, it's going to feel uncomfortable for, for me and for others because this is new. This is a new shift. And so there's a space of like that recognize, recognizing that I am going to be uncomfortable, but it's okay. And then coming more into um, just like sitting with the fact that like, I'm filling my cup by staying and doing what I want and spending my time and energy on these things instead of the shoulds that I'm going to drain myself. Mm. So like you're saying, like you're not doing all these things that you want to do because you're following the shoulds. What if you spent your time doing what you wanted to do? What would your life look like? Like a lot of people can't even fathom that thought. 
Yeah, it's funny. I had the I was in this mentorship and they had a guest on, and the one thing that stuck with me and constantly sticks with me is like, he kind of talked about a wedding example, and he's like, I'm not going to my second cousin's wedding and spending like I my values are my family and like I'd rather spend that money yeah. taking my family on a weekend vacation. Um, and he ended with like, I have a zero obligation meter. Yes. I'm like, that is wonderful. Easier said than done. Um, totally. Yeah, it, it is this funny idea like, oh, I go to this wedding. Oh, my God, if I don't go, he's going to hate me. It's like, why do I even care? We don't even talk that much. Right. You know, so like sitting with all that. Yeah. And like, so what if he hates you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. That will suck for a moment. Mm-hmm. And you're still going to live your life. Like this relationship that you've, you speak once a year, like what is the actual impact that it's having on your life? And if it's not there you know, ultimately it's probably not taking anything away because it's not an alignment. If it was an alignment, you'd be reaching out to this person more often. You'd be having those deep conversations. You'd want to go to the wedding. It wouldn't feel like a should. It seems like a lot of the stuff in our life is a should where like this example with the wedding or even like, oh, we were very close, you know, college roommates, really best friends. Um, So we should be friends forever. (laughs) <laughs> and it's almost like, you know, Taylor talk about it, like your purpose or like this job that you're supposed to do. Oh, I was supposed to be a civil engineer. That's what I was supposed to do until I retired at 60, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and getting stuck in all of this, this shit that we should do rather than asking ourselves, like, why do I feel like I should do this? Yeah. And what feels good to me? Um, People are really disconnected from that feeling of mm-hmm. what feels good to me, though. And a lot of times it's because they've been so far away from that from like 10 years old or five years old or right. you know they've spent their life disconnected from that well i think it's interesting you mentioned like alignment a lot <laughs> and it's like people don't know themselves yeah. and they don't know what they really want so it's like all these shoulds are like external mm-hmm. right so i think that's what's interesting a lot of people i work with is like diving and then that's what i'm hearing you say is like okay like what do you actually want and that's yeah. why like it's wild. People can't imagine like, oh, what if I did what I wanted? Like, what would that feel like? They can't. They can't even like speak it to me sometimes. Like I'm like, visualize it. What would it look like if you walked down the street in that life you wanted? Well, I don't know. Yeah. Mm. And I I love hearing what you're, it sounds like you like walk through all these possibilities. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I've done a lot with clients. I'm finding that the the words, what if is becoming just as common as should. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And people are like, what if, what if, what if this doesn't happen? What if, you know? And so what I do is I'm like, okay, what if, and they're like, what? I'm like, tell me what happens. Play Um, it out. And I literally had a client yesterday who, who did, she was applying for, she hasn't applied for a job because she's like, what if they don't hire me? And she's like, meanwhile, I haven't quit my other job yet. And I'm, I'm like, okay, so what if, you apply and they don't hire you. You're exactly where you are. Right. You might as well. And it's like people allow that to just take over, but it's really getting clear on like what's, what, is, what does alignment look like for you? Mm-hmm. Do you, is there anything that you do specifically with clients to help them better understand or break through that barrier of like, what do I want? What's important to me? Or like, what would feel good to me? C- can I also say before you answer that, yeah. I just wanted to touch on what you said. Uh, the what if, and what if you do apply to that job, but don't get it, you're back where you started. Actually, I disagree. You're actually further along because not only have you stepped into a little bit of fear, but you probably learned something from that interview process, even though you didn't get the job. So you're actually getting closer to where you want to be. It's actually, I think, always better, right, to do yeah, the thing. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> I would say it, it could be 
partly I play through what's worst case scenario. Right. So mm-hmm. worst case scenario would be they didn't learn from it. Okay. They didn't, you know, and, and so if it is, cause I like to play all the scenarios. Right. And so in, in that instance, it's like, okay, tell me the absolute worst case scenario where they don't have the growth mindset. They didn't like learn from it. They didn't understand the value of stepping into fear. Well, if we go worst case, it's like they're exactly where they are unhappy in their current job. But yes, I agree with you. They hopefully anything. Yeah. Hopefully along the way, they also get all this insight and they're like, Oh, I did this and I learned something and I grew. Um, so yeah. Okay. So back, back to the question. Helping, Alignment. Yeah. yeah. Help, help, <laughs> like, damn, what was the question? Helping, yeah. helping people <laughs> understand, yeah, who they are, who they want to be, what is alignment, how can they choose alignment? Yeah. So that comes into play when I, when I have people become more connected with their bodies because mm-hmm. our minds are really good at telling us, like, battling thoughts or you know like the imposter syndrome will come up or the fear will come up but like what does your body tell you and so when people do things that aren't in alignment most of the time they feel tension they feel a tightness in their chest they feel their throat close there's something that happens and a lot of times when people start therapy they're not aware of those things that are happening in their body Mm. so it's building emotional intelligence not only with labeling their emotions but connecting it with what's happening in your body when you feel this way then it's the space of what happens when you feel good what happens when you feel relaxed what happens when you feel joy they learn the difference and then they start to become aware of i'm feeling anxious my body's really tense why am i feeling this way what's coming up for me they then create the process of analyzing their situation themselves and deciding whether anxiety is warranted or not. If it's warranted, they then shift, they make safety, they move, they, they leave the situation, they change, they do what they need to do. If it's a reaction to something that has happened in the past, they can sit with themselves and come to a space of understanding, like, this isn't about this present moment. And then they have choice, like, do I want to try this now? Mm. You know, like I'm feeling anxious, but it's not about this. It's about the past. And what if I do this and it works out? So they have this opportunity to like learn about their body, learn about what it feels like to do things that feel wrong, feel good, feel amazing. And then most often people will seek those things out Mm. and they come into alignment more naturally because they're like, I went and paddleboarded today and it was so awesome. And I felt that feeling you told me. And I'm like, yeah, cause you love to be on the water and you love paddleboarding. I love that. That's something I work with a lot of people. I, I've found that people don't know the difference between sensations and emotions. Oh yeah. No meaning like a, a tightness in my chest or like, right. Nervousness and excitement could be the same sensation mm-hmm. in the body. Um, so it's really cool that you're talking about connecting to your body and not just, you know, talking through things or your mind. Is this something that you're bringing to uh, what you do now? Is this something you learned in school? Like, No. Okay. <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to make an, ass- an assumption, but this is fascinating to me because I, w- I would love to kind of hear about what are the differences and like how are you integrating the two? Because, um, yeah, even coming from like a fitness background, it's like – 
movement is medicine Mm -hmm. and like getting in touch with your body. And like literally Matt and I will talk about like, um, working out. It literally can change your physiology, right? It releases different chemicals Mm -hmm. and things like that. And just like, um, not that I, I think, you know, traditional psychology teaching is, is bad. And also there are so many other things. So like, I'm curious, one, what is kind of like, what are maybe the differences and like, why are you choosing to bring these things that you weren't traditionally taught in school? Mm. Yeah, schooling for me was very, very generic. Like we were taught the basics, um, theory, interventions, different theoretical orientations, but it was very much old school based. Like this is the history of psychology. These are what's, you know, what, where research has been done or evidence has been shown And that's all great. Like, there's definitely value in that. However, when I stepped out of school and sat with clients, that only took us so far. And, you know, I recognized in myself through my own therapy experiences that that stuff only took me so far. And so there's this recognition of, like, there's a gap. Um, And and what do we need to fill this? Um, What's missing? And... When I moved out to Colorado, I, I recognized that the alternative healing network out here is huge. Could you try again? Excuse me, Siri. <laughs> she wants to be part of the podcast. Um, so when I moved out here, I recognized like there's so many resources available to clients that maybe in Florida like or Massachusetts, they weren't necessarily like publicized as much as they are here. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I learned that I can bring all of these things in, I can build this for my clients. I can have them access their body in ways that talk therapy will never do. It's, it was profound what I saw in my clients. I mean, they were reconnecting with parts of themselves that had been so shut off. Mm-hmm. And that's like such an honor like honoring moment to see someone reconnect with themselves. And so that to me is imperative now. Like I will never return back to the structured um, kind of talk therapy that we were taught. I think that the reality is they can't teach everything in school. Right. Um, They teach you what you need to know to be an ethical psychologist. However, every client to me is so unique that, it's not fair for me to stop there. Like mm-hmm. I want, that's like my own personal desire to like keep growing and to keep learning. But my goal is to heal the whole self. And that includes the body and the mind and whatever else you feel is part of you. And so if we're not attending to all of that, then I don't feel like I'm necessarily doing what I've set out to do. Okay. I want to stay away from like good and bad, but how would you, do you have any tips for people who are maybe looking for a therapist or a psychologist and finding someone like hearing this, that would be may, way more in alignment for what I'm looking for mm-hmm. than somebody who's old school or traditional. Right. Um, prior to this conversation, I wouldn't even know where to start. So yeah. any, any thoughts, tips that you have that, along those lines? Yeah. So psychology today is the biggest database for us as therapists. Um, honestly, the best way to look for an integrative therapist like I've been talking about like how I how I approach this is definitely just to look for like a holistic mindset is someone incorporating mind body and spirit are they willing to push you know the traditional talk therapy lines 
are they incorporating alternative healing modalities? You know, like, are they open to unconventionality? Like, you know, you don't, I personally would not align with a therapist who brought in their own judgments or brought in their own beliefs or biases around things. Um, you know, I really want someone that's very open. And so there, most therapists will offer a 20 minute consult for free. Um, and those are so valuable because you, you get to feel what it's like to speak to that person. And it's important that there's an element of alignment, even in that conversation. Again, it's hard when people don't know how to connect with that space yet, but there's also an element that like therapists should be watching for those signs too of, of alignment. Mm. We should speak into that if it's not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that you said that because as a coach, being fitness coach, life coach, whatever, it's like I'm not right for everyone. Mm-hmm. And there's some people that's not a good fit. Totally. And I've heard, as you were saying, I've heard friends talk about like, yeah, my therapist and like, I don't really know if I like this or whatever. And then they just keep going. Yeah. And it's like, so what I'm hearing you say is it's okay to like try something and it doesn't mean that therapy is not right for you. Yeah. Maybe it's just not a good fit. Totally. Yeah, but then you get in the in the uh, well. I gotta stick with this person. Oh, I'm afra- the I'm af- I'm af- yeah, I'm afraid to, you know, tell them, oh, this isn't right for me. Uh, I should stay here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would own part of that as a therapist that if we are not setting up an environment, yeah, from the very beginning where we are speaking into transparency and building communication and openness, where a client can come to you and like say this. I mean, I would say that some of that's on us because we yeah. we need to let them know that they can speak into a misalignment or something that doesn't feel right. We're humans too. Like mm-hmm. we're not perfect and we're definitely not everyone's cup of tea. Like it, we're, we're just, you know, trying to do what we can. And, and if our product isn't in alignment, like you're not just going to buy that mm-hmm. to have it. Right. Yeah, I love it. I, I've been on calls where, like, I just don't make an offer for people because mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not feeling this. And if I'm not feeling this, like, I don't want your money. I no. want to help you. <laughs> no. That's the point. The money is just energy exchange. I want to really help you. And if we're not in alignment, you're not going to do the work. Right. And, and I'm not going to love showing up. Yeah. Which means I'm not going to show my best, which, you know, it's just a bad cycle of stuff. So, yeah, totally. Like, definitely on anyone who is kind of a coach or therapist or anything in this realm, like, yeah, you have a responsibility to like say no to people. Totally. We have competence. Like we are only so good at what we know, you know, like we've taken classes or whatever. Like we shouldn't step out of that just to say that we can take all the clients Mm -hmm. or we should take a client. Like, no, stay in what you know because that's where you're helping people and it's not to say that like we can't learn more right we can always take another class or a course and expand our knowledge but not at the harm of someone you know I'm not going to tell a client like I'm a great fit for you when I don't feel that yeah I love that I was kind of going to ask this like is there an end for like obviously we (laughs) we work on this stuff all our lives I think the people who listen to this podcast understand that uh, so there's no end to working on yourself. Um, but with you, is there like, you know, a time frame where people like they've, they've integrated, they've done the things, they have all the tools and you're kind of like, 
I mean, being a good, I'll just call you a coach for the sake of yeah. it, but like being a whatever, the good therapist, like being like, oh, I've taken you as far as I can. Here's some recommendations or totally. like, you know, or maybe it's just a check in once a month or like, what does that look like? Yeah. So for most clients there, there gets a point where our sessions will transition into them telling me all of their wins for the week or yes. like, you know, the month or however we're spaced out and they don't need me to hold space. They are holding their own mm. and they just want me to hear how well they're doing. Um, that's the space where I come into of I'm here for you. This space is always open. You know, life always throws curveballs. We know that I'm not like ending this, but you don't need this. And it's an empowering space for them because they also recognize like, yeah, I, I don't need you to hold this space anymore. I can do it. And some clients will stay for like maintenance, like once a month or once every three months, just because they have found like great value in having someone outside of their network to just confide in and whatnot. And at that point, that's okay um, to do. Some clients will end and they're like, I'll see you when I see you. And that's okay too. Um, But there's definitely that shift where you see it in them, you feel it in the session it's not as heavy. They don't, they've like got it. So. Yeah. I, I love it. I, I think, I know Taylor said that to me. He was like, yeah, I got to call the client. And they're just like, same thing. Tell me the wins. And I'm like, I don't even know what to do with them anymore. And yeah. Like, you kind of just sit there. Which is awesome. Like, That's what we all want. Yeah. yeah. I had a client who that happened a couple, a couple of times. And I was like, Hey, like, I just want to throw out this. Like, I don't know if you need me. Like yeah. I'm still here. Cause I was just feeling bad. And she was like, yeah, you know, like I kind of thought about that, but then I'm wondering if I'm doing so good because we have these calls twice Mm -hmm. a month. And I was like, okay, I just want to like, I'm not here to just take your money. And then sure enough, maybe a a month later, she decided to stop, which was great because it's like, you know, the door is always open. Um, I'm curious. I'm going to throw a shit out there. Do you believe everyone should (laughs) try therapy or go to therapy? Yes, if they can find someone that they feel connected to. Mm. I don't think people should go to therapy to just go to therapy. Like, I'm in therapy. Like, <laughs> I did it. Like, n- no, I I don't think that that's actually, like, functional in healing to just go to go. I think it needs to be with intention. It needs to be in a time in your life where you're open to the process because it's grueling. I mean, it it pushes you to places you've suppressed or didn't want to attend to. And you have to sit in that. And so it it needs to be when you're ready and willing. Um, But I think the outcome of therapy Everyone would benefit from that. Mm. Mm. I really like that answer. And I like that you said yes to the should, because I was thinking, I believe everybody should hire a coach and that could be for fitness. That could be nutrition. That could be therapy. That could be business, finance, whatever. Um, So I think there is a place for shoulds in this world. Yes. When you examine the belief behind it. Mm. Yeah. I, I like the caveat that you had of like, it has to be for the right reason mm. or the right person or that's what and I think ti- it is. Yeah. And timing is huge too. Totally. Right. Like don't just be like, Oh, I listen to this podcast. Okay. I'm signing up for therapy next week. Like, because yeah. if you're not ready for it, 
then you're likely not going to get the profound effects. Right. Like, sure, you can lead a horse to water, but you have to. You can't <laughs> Love that you said that. It was coming up uh, earlier in my head, but yeah. yeah. It's, it's just the truth. Like, sure, sign up for therapy, but like, if you're not ready, you're not going to put yourself in that space to be vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just that why, right? I should do this, right? And then you ask, well, why? Because you feel like you should have to or like you want the outcome and the benefit and right. like, well, I'm I'm sad or I'm like really struggling with X, Y, Z and I yeah. I want to break through this. So yeah, I should go to therapy or whatever it is. Like I want to grow my yeah, business. Which so turns into I want to go to therapy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If it stays a should, that's where the issue is. If it turns into a want, mm. I think there's a profound movement that could happen there. I like we said, you shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> to tell people you're doing yeah. it. If you yeah. do anything just to tell people that you're doing it. That's an ego boost. I am uh, the best yeah. at going to therapy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, so I'm actually going three times a week now. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh my God. <laughs> um, okay, I got a, I got a question. I know you really want to talk about this. Something we talked about when we got coffee, which I thought was super profound. And I know a message you'd love to get out there um, is duality. Yeah. And I won't even say more. I'll let you just take it away. What is duality? <laughs> So what I've found is over the last like two years in my own personal life and then also with working with clients is that people are coming up with like this strong but mindset of I can do this but Mm. X, Y, and Z. And there's an element of shifting your mindset into an and instead Mm. of but. So I can do this and I'm fucking terrified. Um, so in everything, like say like you have an argument with your partner and you're like, I am so angry. People struggle and say like, I'm so angry at him, but I love him. Like, how can I, how does that make sense? Well, you can be angry and love your partner. Both are valid. We need to honor all of those things and not put a rigidness around. It has to be one or the other because when we choose one or the other, we suppress whichever one we didn't choose. And where does that go? It has to go somewhere. And then at some point we have to attend to it. And so what I've been teaching my clients and just really practicing myself is thinking about all of what I'm feeling, all of what I'm experiencing and honoring every piece of that and recognizing that I don't have to separate it. They don't have to be one or the other. It's they're all happening to me. Mm-hmm. We as children are, and a, like adolescents are not taught that it's win or lose, fail or succeed, black and white, you know, um, pass or fail. Like all of those things are so rigid, mm-hmm. but like you can pass a test and still struggle in math. You can fail an English test and still be extremely smart. Mm -hmm. Why do we limit ourselves and like put worth our worth in these like separate categories? Like it's just all one to me. Mm -hmm. I I love this. (laughs) Sorry. I'm like, Uh, oh my God. (laughs) I do a lot of butts. This is, uh, this is something I teach all my clients and I call it yes. And yeah. And I think I love what you said about the choice because I imagine a lot of people think it's a conscious choice, yeah. but that's also how I teach mindset is through words. Mm-hmm. And so like subconsciously, if you keep using that, but then it's like you said, you're making the choice Yes. and it's multiple things can be true at the same time. 
Yeah. And that's like an example I always give is like most people think about mindset, just thoughts, but like the words you use have the biggest impact on what you think. Totally. So if you grow up and the people that raise you say, you're lazy, you're lazy, you're lazy. Like eventually you hear that enough, you start to believe it. And then you identify as, oh, I'm a lazy person. And when you rest, you feel lazy. And yeah. you shame yourself for resting when you actually need to rest. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, I love that you bring power and awareness to the words that people are using. It's so important. And when I sit with my clients and they can honor both of those things, it's so different for them to experience than shutting one off. And they're like, oh my God, you're right. Like I can be angry in this situation and still have so much love for this person. Like it doesn't take away, it doesn't have to take away mm -hmm. from the other feeling. It doesn't have to detract from that or make it less meaningful. Yeah, I love it. It's something Taylor taught me a few years ago. And I find myself struggling saying but. I actually have to intentionally say but because if I write and, it can be confusing for people who are like, it just sounds weird. Yeah. Um, going back to the conversation, right, uh, performing, playing guitar, I'm scared or uh, I want to play guitar for these people but I'm afraid and now that but is like but I'm afraid then in my head it sounds like so I can't do it right because I'm afraid rather than when I say it and I was thinking about this while you guys are talking it's like I want to perform for these people and I'm afraid it's like oh yeah but I can have both mm -hmm. I can be afraid and I can do it but yeah that but is so deterring to yeah. to the thing we just said the but negates anything previously said yep. and I think another cool example of like especially like with my clients is like giving feedback. Mm -hmm. If I'm like, Hey Mark, you did really good on the report last week, but, and then I follow up with something that he's not doing well. That's conditional. That's all that. Yeah. They're just going to hear that. And that like, you know, how, how would that feel being on the receiving end? And it's right. It's like, those are two separate things, you know? And when we do that to ourselves, we invalidate that good part. Mm. Yeah. We be, we create conditions for ourselves. Right. Instead of showing ourselves unconditional love, we condition it into this, but yeah, you know, like, no, you're, you're a great employee. Yeah. And this piece of work you did fucking sucked. Like. Right. Right. Yeah. Is that what this is? Like living conditionally at a mentor would said, like a lot of people are doing that. Right. Uh, uh, I will go all in when this is successful. Absolutely. So, well, what if, would it take going all in to be successful? Mm -hmm. So living conditionally is not holding you back from the thing you want. Conditions are based out of fear. Mm -hmm. It's hard to love or do things unconditionally. When we put conditions on it, we feel like this pseudo sense of control. We're like, oh, yeah, we can do this. And then we can say, no, we can't do it because we're scared. Okay, so we're not scared anymore because we're not doing it. Okay, you just took away all your fear. Yeah. But you didn't do it. So then there's a part of you that still aches to do that thing. So fear didn't allow you to fill your authentic need or want. It just took away the fear of doing that thing. Mm. How, I'm curious as a, as a, in your work for myself, how do you hold space for people when they're, I want to do this, but I'm so afraid. And you're like, yeah, I'll just fucking do it. <laughs> you know, obviously you don't do, you don't say that. 
That, would, yeah, no. that wouldn't work. Definitely not. Yeah. We wait for session number four. Yeah. And, yeah. Then and then when the we hammer. Good what rapport. the fuck is your problem? <laughs> yeah. yeah. When Just do the thing. You keep talking about this every damn week. Right? Yeah. So how do you hold space for someone like that who's maybe coming with similar problems, saying they want to do this, they won't do it, and you know, you're kind of guiding them through this process? This might be a crazy long answer, but. No, it's, it's, a, it's actually like pretty pretty like easy to answer the thing about that is i sit in the fear with them Mm. that is the space i hold what is your fear telling you like we just befriend the fear we name it we label it we break it down and then it's definitely not so scary anymore because they've they know it they see it they understand it and then when we take that element and we say okay this is real for you you have fear what are you going to do to not let fear stand in your way? And then that's the space of the imposter syndrome that comes in of like, well, I don't know how to do that. Okay. Can you befriend fear in the moment when you feel it? Can you, instead of trying to push it away or avoid it? Well, yeah. Like we just did. Right. Okay. So when you are feeling fear, don't condition it and push it away. Let it be unconditional and accept it. Mm. So I don't sit in the space of we need to like just, you know, do the thing despite the fear that comes. But it's let's sit with your fear, understand it to the 10th degree, because there's usually a need there. There's something that has to be put in place for them to feel like they are safe enough to do whatever, whether it's researching for a job interview or you know practicing role plays with me journaling tangible lists like there's something and so when they can do that and they can regain that feeling of control we don't have to hold the space for the fear anymore it's moved on Hmm. interesting I I wonder do you have like a tangible example or I could give one (laughs) and we could play as (laughs) I'll get some live therapy yeah Yeah. for sure um you know, if there's a fear of, well, I'm thinking about making, hiring a coach. Boom. Um, however, I'm kind of worried about, oh, this might be another thing that won't work. Um, leading me to rack up a credit card bill mm-hmm. that I might not be able to pay. So fear of debt, potentially. Um, so how do we sit in that fear? Okay. So your worst case scenario is that you're going to end up in debt that you can't pay back? Mm-hmm. Is that it? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So then what? You have debt that you can't pay off. I journaled about this this morning. Uh, <laughs> then I'll, I'll go find a client to sign on. Make but money. what is the meaning of having debt that you can't pay off? What does that belief in your mind have for you? Oh, man. Yeah. This is... Probably a lot deeper than uh, just sitting here. Yeah. I don't want too much silence in the podcast. But, <laughs> um, so I'm stalling as I think. That would be the question though. Yeah. Around, okay, so you don't want that to happen, but why? There's something telling you you're going to be X, Y, and Z if you let that happen. Mm. Mm. You don't want to be that. Mm. Yeah. And your fear is like, holy shit, I don't want to be that. But the one tangible thing you have is to hold on to is this debt. Instead of what's stopping you from signing a client on. It's definitely not the debt. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I'm curious too, just knowing Matt here, uh, it's kind of something we talked about earlier too. Like part of that is the fear, but also something you had said of like, why do you want to hire a client or a new coach? Like diving into that. Yeah. Like, is that something you need? Do you feel like that's something you need? Like, or is it something you really want? Right. Could potentially help with that fear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, recognizing the utility, right. Cost benefit. Like if you need this, then is the debt worth this to mm. fill the need? Mm. Mm -hmm. But you still have to sit with the idea that you have debt and what that means for you because you're going to have the debt. That's not going to be avoidable. However, through your coaching, that could be a goal for you to work on navigating how to be in debt without shame, guilt, etc. So it's all like interconnected in the sense of like you could take it any way. Mm -hmm. It's just there's deeper roots to what it means to be in debt mm -hmm. in this scenario. Yeah. I got to say, I think I did a really good job journaling on this this morning. Good. Kind of answered some of these questions. But That's awesome. Yeah. Just was curious about a tangible example. Maybe can people look about themselves in that situation yeah. or something similar. Awesome. Okay. Go ahead, Taylor. How many sessions would it take to figure out why Matt is the way that he is? <laughs> Do you think? <laughs> Just give no her comment. Oh, okay, okay, sorry. Taylor on three, three, two, one. Penis. <laughs> there, oh, man. Wow. We I, we had I was like, we it. It. We I thought we were kind of wrapping shit. up, we and then I was it. like, oh, he's got one more thing. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I actually do. I want to ask. Can I ask about your tattoos? Yeah. Um, you got a bunch of tattoos. You mm -hmm. said they were your spirit guides. spirit guides. Yeah. Tell me about spirit guides. So I have been like infatuated with elephants and wolves throughout my whole life. And I just like, I don't know why have found like so much, there's so much like there, I have so much interest in them. Mm. Been to a bunch of wolf sanctuaries, elephant sanctuaries, etc. Um, and so on my arm, there's the elephant, the wolf, the divine feminine goddess, and then a mandala. And so it's just like the interconnectedness of the things that have either like led me or I've found passion and interest in. Um, I'm just like a big believer in nature and the universe. And so having that symbolized on my arm is just really powerful for me. Nice. I, love it. Yeah. I like it. Was there any fear? Are these new tattoos? I got them over the course of the last year. Okay. Is there any fear like people won't hire me because I have tattoos? Oh. <laughs> Well, I work for myself, so no. Perfect. Um, I meant, yeah. I had that fear. Oh, clients. Right. <laughs> I didn't even think about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, so, so, no. so, no. So, yeah. definitely, that will be a no. Um, I had that fear back in grad school, mm. like before I started in the field, but I just don't fucking care. Yeah. More shoulds. I yeah. would imagine it actually shouldn't. attracts the right type of clients, like yeah. people who want to work with you who yeah. are, yeah. I mean, I'm not shy about them. I definitely display them openly. And um, yeah, again, like if, if you're not in alignment with me or my choices of my own body, like that's completely fine. Yeah. It's totally okay. Um, I'm not going to change myself or hide my tattoos. So. Yeah. Yeah. If you're so upset that if they're so upset that you have tattoos, they might need therapy. To get over <laughs> yeah. That, so. <laughs> yeah. They need to work through that. What is the, yeah, it's always that. I think we were talking about this a few podcasts ago, like, the person that like you see them or maybe see their Instagram and you're like, Oh, this fucking person, that reaction, why are you having that reaction? Mm -hmm. Cause it's probably the thing 
mm. that you need to be working on. Totally. Why so, are you intimidated by them? Yeah. Why do you feel this? Yeah. So if somebody was like Taylor said, if someone saw your tattoos and was like, this bitch has tattoos. Like, oh my God. Why are you having that thought? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Check yourself. Yeah. I had, I had someone ask me on Instagram the other day, uh, should I invest in like f- nice fitness clothes um, for my brand as a personal trainer? And I was, I basically said what you said. I'm like, no, like if you love that and if you feel good and you look good and that helps you perform better, but like don't do it to try and impress people so they'll hire you. That right. would be doing it for the wrong reason. Because mm. are you going to show up in those clothes every single time? Mm. Right. Yeah. Probably not. Yeah. You're going to show up in your own clothes. Yeah. And then your clients are going to be like, oh, where's those, where are those nice clothes that you had on that I liked that brought me here? <laughs> yeah. Oh, not here? Okay. Yeah. Uh, especially when you say it like that. That's yeah. a hilarious <laughs> way to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> your clothes. Um, awesome. Uh, I have one final question. Yeah. Are you happy? No. But I'm getting there. Nice. Why do you say no? Because I still reside in fear sometimes. And that's like a very honest space that keeps me from being happy 100% of the time. Um, Or like go to that extent of happiness. And a lot of it is just life and owning a business and learning and doing new things all the time. Um it's not saying that like the fear detracts from any happiness. It's just still there, still taking up space. You said you're getting there. How are you getting there? Is there anything you do regularly? I do all of the Colorado cliche stuff. <laughs> Tell us about it. Hike, uh, the dog park all the time with my dogs. Smoking uh, blunts. Yep. <laughs> Smoking made. Um, yeah, just again, like trying to be out in the community yoga events when the summer is here, like I hang out in the parks and farmers markets and like all of that really brings the happiness. Um, so I'm like getting into that space of pushing myself to go and do those things again and, um, not staying in the fear. Yeah. What, what is your life like when you don't do all those things? Quiet. (laughs) I work from home. I have two dogs that are wild. So it's like me and my dogs mm. at home. Um, yeah. It's quiet. Um, how, how, how do you feel different? I guess is more of um, where I'm going with that, right? You said you do all these things because it adds to your happiness mm-hmm. when you don't make, a, make that a priority. How do you feel like you show up or mm. do you have different levels of emotions? Like, is it noticeable? Not necessarily. Um, I do a lot of self-care when I'm like not out doing things. Like I will do those things alone also. Um, like I will do yoga in my house with my dogs, you know, like I still take care of myself in the sense of emotionally, because if I didn't, I wouldn't be able to show up for my clients. Okay. That's what I imagine. That's where I was getting is if you're not doing those things, you're doing something else. You're you're always making a choice. To, to yeah, have I, that self-care. I yeah. definitely don't sit in that space yeah. for very long because I have people depending on me. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think there's so much circling back of like things we've talked about where people like not being in touch with their body and how they feel. And it's like, oh, feeling off or yeah. I'm angry or I'm sad. And then they just sit with that. And again, I'm not on the train of like, don't feel your emotions. Right. However, if you just keep staying in that, 
you're going to keep feeling that. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you have to do the work to understand why you're there. For mm. sure. And that then allows you to get out of it. Yeah. I, I Well, Teo and I maybe have a, a different take, not different from each other, different from what people might think, but like happiness. You're not going to be happy. You said, I'm not happy 100% of the time. Well, <laughs> you never totally. will be. You never will be. Nobody will. And like that's life and that's kind yeah. of the cool part. You're happy because you chose to go out on your own yeah. and be an entrepreneur and have your own practice, your own private practice. You'd be less happy if you were still working for someone else because you could practice how you'd want to and totally. help your clients the same way. So that comes with a lot of more fear being an entrepreneur. But I'd say because of that and the fear and then pursuing then it's fucking hard and finding clients, growing the business, all that stuff is actually happiness. Yes. It's finding that instead of finding the fear. Mm. Yeah. The pursuit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A fucking men. Bingo, bingo, bongo. Awesome. I love it. I think you're actually the first person I've asked who has actually said no to that. Because I appreciate that. I know. Um, and it's a really good conversation. I learned a lot for myself. <laughs> um, Taylor Deuce, how are you feeling? Good. Good. Incredible. Good. Awesome. Even better than when we started. Amazing. If Today's only possible. getting better. Yeah. Awesome. Jessica, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Uh, if people want to find out, reach out to you, especially if they're local. Do you do online stuff? Yeah. So on Instagram, it's Grassroots Healing LLC. Um, I also have a website, grassrootshealing.com. Um, feel free to check it out. I do have some openings if people are interested. But there's some blogs and resources on my website too if people are just interested in like self-care, self-help stuff. Nice. Amazing. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. I love you all. And until next time, our happiness homies, peace. Peace.